I felt I was sinking in a pool, right? In a, it was an infinity pool, but not horizontally, it was vertically. Okay, but it doesn't matter because at one point I'm going to hit the bottom and when I can hit the bottom, I can start going back up again. Where I really got screwed big time after six years of, of working where I lost everything and, and started from scratch. So this is Vulnerable, the first founder mental health podcast powered by Founders Taboo. Let's get into it. Patrick, we've actually just spent 39 minutes talking before this episode right? Yeah. about kind of your journey, but also talking about how you built an app for time management and and how you angel invest now in companies. Um, so I want to say that the 39 minutes you've just spent with me have been some of the most amazing I've spent minutes that I've spent this year already so thank you very much yeah, well. uh, I've learned a fuckload <laughs> great that's great to hear <laughs> let's see how we continue then there we go um first and foremost how are you I'm fine thank you thank you and thank you for inviting me to the podcast I think it's a uh, really interesting topics to discuss and I think it's uh yeah about time yeah 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 I um We've been introduced through our very good mutual friend, Janos. Yeah. Um, and he's told me a lot about you. I asked what I, what should I ask Patrick today, okay. which I'm not yep. going to reveal right now. <laughs> um, you have an amazingly distinguished career already in entrepreneurship, right? You've founded um, a very successful healthcare company, exited that in 20... 2019, yeah, just before the COVID. Just before COVID, which is... Um, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Exiting or exiting just before COVID. Do you think that you could have made even more cash? Um, yeah, it's always difficult to predict the future, but but I think it was the right timing uh, for many many different reasons, which we could discuss. But uh, we were purchased by uh, or acquired by a Swedish company. Uh, and we had a lot of synergies and uh, there was just like a huge market open selling through them, you know, selling through a bigger company. Mm. So um, I can't answer your question, but, you know, it, as part of the deal, I had to reinvest part of my money in that company and that company is doing really well. So, uh, so yeah. Nice. There's always a good... You uh, always have to ask it, hey? Yeah, yeah, but, but you know, at, at some point you have to to take decisions and and timing wise it was good and we had actually decided to do it regardless of covid and i had uh, uh surrounded myself by four really uh, experienced um uh, managers from the healthcare industry mm. uh, and set up a whole advisory board and then we met like every two weeks just for the purpose of selling the company um yeah wow. so that's um, nice. how we did it i want to take this right back yeah. um and discuss what was Patrick like growing up because it, it takes a special kind of human being to do what you've done in your life already. Um, there's only, f there's a very small percentage of people, very, 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 very small, as we were discussing earlier, that are able to go through what you've been through um, and then do what you've done. Um, so were there any like moments Growing up, where you were like, mm, I'm different here. 
different. Uh, I was always different in the way that uh, I've got a French and British passport. So uh, I learned to be different and to cope with it because when I was in... Um, boarding school in, in, in the UK, they were calling me the French onion. And when I was in school in France, I was called the roast beef. So <laughs> in the beginning, I was kind of saddened by that. But then I realized, well, yeah, well, I'm part of both worlds. So, so, uh, so I turned, I, I managed to turn this into something positive, you know, in, in, in all the, um, the negative aspects of my life, I tried to see how I could bounce back on it and, and really turn it into something positive. <clears throat> but to talk about, yeah, entrepreneurship and, and whether some signs or not, I guess they were. And I don't know if it's genetic or if it's uh, thanking, you know, my, my parents who've all, always told us to be really curious and to learn things, to discover things, to give us the opportunity of, of doing a lot of things. Uh, but one of the first things which kind of fascinated me and going back, I mean, maybe it's the same for every kid, I don't know, but it was like, I was fascinated by nature and I was fascinated by seeing how you can plant a little seed and then if you're patient enough, you will have, you know, some vegetables or some things growing. And, uh, and then from then on, I don't know how old I was, but I was quite young, I think. And I remember telling my grandma that from now, from these seeds, because I had my little vegetable garden, I was like seven years old or something. And, and I would sell my salads, I will buy some eggs. And then from the eggs, I will do some, get some chickens and then the chickens, I will buy a, a lamb and then, and then I would have, et cetera, et cetera. And I explained to her the whole process. And then I thought, okay, then I, I should maybe become a farmer one day because then I can see how I can grow the things, et cetera, et cetera. And so I had this kind of sense all the time of, of how to build, how to understand, how to, to, to do business in a fun way, right? So when I was a teenager, I was buying all these magazines about how you create a company, uh, what kind of companies are the companies of the future. I was asking some friends to bring me back magazines from the US about entrepreneurship. So I was constantly thinking of new ideas. I mean, I had maybe 50 or 60 companies in my head that I was going to, to create, right? And to such an extent that I didn't even want to, to go to university because I thought I'm ready. You know, I'm 18 now. I'm ready. I want to start my first company. And my father suggested, well, maybe it's a good idea just to do a few years of university just in case it doesn't work. And, and, and I'm grateful for that because in retrospect, I also learned a lot at university, uh, which then helped me to get the theory and, and, and the bigger picture. Although most of what I learned, I learned afterwards, right? Uh, were there any moments in life where you really kind of, I could say, yeah, looking back, you were already an entrepreneur at that time. And there's a picture in the family album where <clears throat> I think I'm seven years old or something. And we went with my parents to pick strawberries in an open field. And I was surprised with the price because it was like half the price of the supermarket. So we picked a lot of strawberries. And then I said to my, um, <clears throat> No, I must have been nine years old, I think. Yeah. And then I told my six-year-old brother and my three-year-old sister that we were going to sell those strawberries to the neighbors. So I put my three-year-old um, uh, sister on our mini plastic tractor and filled it up with strawberries. And with my brother, then we just went to the neighbors and then started selling the strawberries. And here was the first challenge of the entrepreneur, right? We put so many strawberries in, in, in the back of the tractor. 
that the uh, the whole thing tipped over and half of our strawberries were now on the streets. So my mother came to the rescue, uh, took all the strawberries back home. She would do the jam with those strawberries and we would take the second batch, which was supposed to be for the family. And then we went to sell the strawberries. And yeah, so wow. that's just one of the stories. I've got quite a few others in the same way, but it, I think, yeah, in, in hindsight, it, it shows that, that I liked it. You know, I liked doing that. Mm. So 19 years old, well, 18 years old. Um, but by the way, what, what did your parents think about this? Did they kind of see you as, um, have you spoken to your parents about this? Have you, have you been like, um, mom, dad, like what, what? What or why? What did you think? What did they think? No, actually, I, I haven't really. It was really a solo experience in a way because my father passed away like 22 years ago. Um, so most of my career was after mm. uh, he passed away. Um, but even at the time when he was alive and he came to Copenhagen to see what kind of business we were in and what we were doing. And he, I remember telling him that he was really impressed by the size of the office, which is obviously nothing to be impressed about. But, but for him, he thought we were really like a small startup. And at the stage, at that stage, we were like pretty well established. I was partner in another company, uh, which is a completely different story. That's where I really got screwed big time after six years of, of working where uh, I lost everything and, and started from scratch. But at the time when he came there, he thought, okay, these guys are really like, you know, doing, doing things, you know, which were beyond what he would have thought. Because in our, in our family, there's zero entrepreneur, right? My father was mm. the director of a, in a big uh, international company and and so for him it was much more the corporate world and how you do things in the corporate world and 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 startup environments was completely you know out of yeah our family focus so mm. i was i wouldn't say i was a black sheep in 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 uh, in the family but um i was different yeah mm. yeah mm. um your first company you were business to, i'm i normally do a lot of research on mm. guests who come on because I think it makes for very good conversation. I'm um, trying to find any information on you was was really difficult. Okay. There's virtually <laughs> none. Um, so I'm going off my conversations with you and also Janos, but also your kind of LinkedIn page. Um, that first experience being shafted, mm. um, what happened? So. So that was actually not my first company. If we really want to go back uh, in, in, in the first companies, I was supposed to be uh, sent to Denmark for 12 months as part of my military service for a French company, cosmetic company. And then I was uh, in finance controlling and then I was in marketing. And then I always wanted, I still wanted to do my own company. And mm. then I, I, I stopped after four years there and I just deep dived and, and said to my wife at the time, okay, I'm just going to start a company. We're going to import uh, luxury uh, chocolates from Belgium and, and wine and champagne from France and sell it to, to the corporations in, in Denmark. So, you know, I took her, her father's car, went through all the, uh, drove many hundreds of kilometers in Belgium, tested a lot of chocolates. And then I, it was really fun because I, I developed my own brand, my own packaging. Uh, so I did everything from scratch. And, um, <clears throat> And then after two years, one of my suppliers uh, from this cosmetic company asked me if I wanted to become a, a partner in his uh, in his advertising company. 
And the way in which it, it, it worked was that he called me one day and he said, you know what, I met your ex-marketing director. I sold her uh, a campaign for a product where you were product manager before. I've got no idea what what to sell her, but the budget is 50,000 euros. At the, at the time, it wasn't euros. And uh, can you help me? And I thought, sure. I mean, I know all the codes of the product. I know the marketing strategy. I know the target group. I know everything. So I used the whole night to build a PowerPoint for him so he could at nine o'clock the next day go and present it to the marketing director. And she was stunned and she thought, okay, this guy, he's understood everything about our products and so and so. So he just signed the contract. And then he asked if I wanted to be part of that. <clears throat> Uh, journey with him and I thought it was yeah really cool it was in, in brand specialized for younger people uh, and then we managed to sell to L'Oreal in uh, eight nine different countries and then we sold to another big American company um, and and that was really fun but then came the dot-com time and and we started selling some concepts which required more programming uh, then we could cope because we were much more front end and, and so and here now we needed to have databases and so so we merged with another company uh, which were IT company and then we just like worked like for crazy for six years like and then uh, at one point and that's where again you know you're a bit naive and so because one of the partners asked me if we should not actually kick out one of the other partners, which was his friend from childhood. And I was like shocked and stunned. And I thought, you know, why? You know, he, yeah, he's got a kid now, so he works a bit less, but I didn't see any reason. But that should have, you know, told me what kind of guy that was. And then six months later, he obviously asked the same thing to the other partner about me because now things were really picking up. And then they thought, okay, well, if there's one person less to share the cake with, uh, let's do it. And that, uh, so without going into details, and so basically the end of the story was that I lost uh, everything because they managed through different means of, of, of ensuring that. And I was like, it was my first very, very big, uh, what do you call, sad period or something because you, you, you know, when you work so hard and you put all your soul energy and, mm. and money, um, you, you just don't believe that people can, can act in this way. But then, you know, I, I then, that was the time when then I decided to start my own healthcare company. And it was like, uh, why did you decide to do that? So that was an amazing experience. So basically we were in contact with some doctors and, uh, they had asked us if we could program some Excel sheets. And I thought, yeah, sure. Uh, but why? You're a hospital. You're asking us to program in Excel. So so I asked if I could come to the intensive care unit and if I could, you know, discuss with them what did they actually want. And yeah, there was no problem. I could come and uh, and I could and see the visit the intensive care unit. And when, I, as I said, when I saw that, it was for me like uh, it was a new Eldorado of IT. I, I thought, how is it possible that in a hospital of that size, you only have paperwork and paperwork and paperwork everywhere, you know, with the, with the most critically sick patients. And I discussed with the, with the head of the ICU there, and he was totally in agreement with me. And, and if we could come with some solutions, he would be really happy uh, to help in one way or another. And he was just an amazing person. He, he really, he was visionary and, and he was like, if you can help me, I'll help you kind of thing. 
so yeah, to make a long story short, it took us two years to kind of develop the first prototype. And I had asked him if I could use the first 50 hours in the intensive care unit just to observe. And what I quickly found out was the complexity of the, the care in intensive care units, because it's like a big, um, it's like a big, uh, what do you call it, central station or something where you've got all the patients coming in and out, but you don't have the same uh, people um, taking care of them, right? Because they're there 24 seven and you've got three shifts of nurses, you've got the doctors and the specialists and the outside, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I could see the complexity, but I thought by doing an iterative process, we would be able to, to come with some kind of solution. And we did, you know, and, and we did for different reasons. A, because we had the, the support of, of, of this amazing guy and of his colleagues, uh, which later, you know, we're, we're all of them really good friends. And um, and keep focusing on, on doing things better, but always keeping the control. You know, we were talking about the control of the company or, or even the mm. control of product development. What you want to make sure is that is that there's only one chef to decide, you know, the the ingredients. Mm. So I would always go back to them and say, hey, this is based on what you said, this is a new suggestion. And they would say, ah, this is great. But we also forgot to tell you that in this case or this case, the patient's X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And, and maybe you should put the button here to the right or to the left. And that's why I always stopped and I said, no, no, don't tell me where I have to put the button or the color of the button or uh, I'm just simplifying it now. But tell me what's wrong. Why can you not solve what you want to solve with my suggestion? And then they told us, and then we came back with a new suggestion and a new suggestion. And that's why it took us two years to actually build the prototype, which was then the basis of our intensive care solution, which then just went on growing because all the clinical logic behind it was there. Yeah. There were no patient cases or exceptions because ICU is mostly exceptions, right? that could not be handled by the system. And that's what m was the basis of our success because then then the doctors, you know, love the solution. I remember mm. talking to a hospital director who told me, you know, the amazing thing about your company is that it's the only software in the entire hospital where clinicians are actually happy about the system. Yeah, and and we could go in much more details as to why that, but but that was the the end results, and that's also one of the reasons why why the Swedish company purchased us because they knew that they could sell it directly to ICUs in the entire Sweden, and that's what they did within the twelve months, I think. Did you raise capital to <coughs> at the start of that? Yeah, so raising capital that's a, that's a completely different chapter. So in the beginning, uh, you know, like nobody believes that why on earth are you going into an industry where all the big American companies are already there or even big European companies? <clears throat> it's just a question of time when they will be doing the same thing as you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it took like some time, but as you know, I had lost everything, so I had no cash. I didn't want to ask my, my parents for any cash or, or anything. So I was working like at night to pay the, the salaries of the programmers during the day. And I was like pushing myself really physically a lot, you know, until we managed. Uh, and mentally. And mentally as well. But at that time, the mental was really, really strong. And it, I was kind of lifting my sorry, <clears throat> lifting mountains with the, uh, with the mental, right? So, um, so I was doing that and then we raised the first little amount and then we quickly sold the first product or the first version of the product. 
and and then from then on um i managed to um yeah to 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 live from the from the actual turnover in 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 the beginning uh and then we raised some some more capital and and then increase the team and things like that the problem or the problem the challenge with the, with a company like that selling to the public sector is uh is what i call the the the, the catch up turnover you know you keep working 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 and suddenly you've got like an order which is going to cover six months four months four, 24 months of salaries but when you come to closer to the end and the catch-up is not coming out you know that's where you start you know start stressing and start thinking okay so what's your plan b what's your plan c what's your plan d and and you use so much energy on that rather than continuing developing the the company mm. how did that progress how did the company grow how did how did how did you grow with the company so because um, you were still fairly young, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. How old was I? Yeah, yeah, in my thirties. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how did how did the company develop? Or yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, it was very um, <clears throat> very slow uh, at the start, uh, and and I was taking my. I remember we also have a picture of that where. With my colleague, uh, the CTO, we were taking the train to visit the hospitals because we didn't have a car. And I had this massive uh, Sony screen with me because I wanted to show the software from its best angle. So I had this big uh, screen in this big box carrying it around in the different trains and stations and everything. And then um, I went from one department to another department to another department and just showed the product all the time. And and the feedback I got was always amazing. I managed to sell to some individual departments and then somebody said, hey, stop, because this is now a regional decision. So we have to take it to the region. And here, so that's a good thing, right? Because you're supposed mm. to get a better, uh, <laughs> a bigger turnover until you hit the EU regulation about how much you're actually allowed to sell without going into tender. And then if you go into tender, then you can be sure that the bigger companies uh, who are all connected with everybody just are just spreading the rumor that forget this small company, you know, we are doing it. It's in our roadmap. We're going to develop exactly the same thing that they're doing, blah, 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 blah. And because there were uh, no comparison as to what we were doing, because we were like the first one in intensive care units, right? So, and they were big and they were bigger contracts. So <laughs> the, the, the things that we, I started realizing is that, you know, this is hardcore business. And that's what I was telling you, you know, about entrepreneurs, you know, <clears throat> do you know what you're actually facing or going to face, you know, and be prepared for it. You know, I think that's what at university they don't tell you enough you know they tell you the mm. theory but they don't tell you the reality they don't tell you how to be, be prepared for the reality and that's maybe where the coach element should, should mm. come into it but for example when and that's going a bit forward but we also looked into the german market and every time we were we we saw a hospital who really loved it and and thought it was you know amazing they would get the data from from the patients the outcomes the mortality survival rates everything uh they then went to their hospital information provider and that was again the same answer you know don't do it it's in our roadmap we will do it etc but some hospitals said no we actually want this danish solution in our hospital so what they did the trick was to say 
okay, you can have it. But you know what? The price of integration between that, that software and our software will be twice the price of what you're actually going to buy. You know? and, then, and then they said, okay, but then it makes no sense, right? And then it just died off. I had the same thing in Abu Dhabi. I was in, in a hospital there and, um, <clears throat> and, and, and the doctors wanted the solution. Everybody was adamant that this was how to do it. And this American company just told the local shake that, you know, it's in our roadmap. 10 years later, they still had not an intensive care solution. You know. But you can say what you want. You can shout as loud as you want. You can say, you know, it's unfair. What that doesn't change anything. You know, it's business. It's pure business. You have to adapt to it. And, and that's where I started thinking, okay, so if this is the, this is the game, I better learn the rules, you know. And what were the rules? Well, the rules are, are, are unwritten in a way, so it's really like figurative in, in in a way. But it's it's you the rules you have to learn them all the time, right? And you've got to learn them from your suppliers, your customers, your employees, uh, and then you have to to kind of you know find out who are your friends, who are your enemies, and maybe not always enemies, but those who will follow you and not follow you. And then I remember, you know, within the employees, maybe there were just like two employees, which I knew I could really trust and I could be open towards and I could share my, my ideas and, and, and things like that. Uh, in terms of, of contracts and things, you know, one of, I think, <laughs> important thing is to have a lawyer that you can trust. And, and I was really fortunate enough to, to find one who, who actually became a really close friend as well. Um, <clears throat> and in terms of clients, you've got to understand what is the entire political system behind it, you know, whether it's large corporation or public sector or even, I think, medium-sized companies, you've got a lot of internal politics. So what you think is obvious, an obvious choice or an obvious decision that they should do, suddenly you, it doesn't happen and you, you're asking, well, why, you know? And, and, and that's what I mean by learning the rules is actually learning how the things are actually working together, right? I give you an example. When we were having really, really great success in, in, in Denmark, uh, the ownership of the relationship with our company changed to another hospital. And this hospital director wanted his own agenda. He wanted another solution. And so, so he sent one of his men to our medical advisory boards. And this guy, the only thing he was doing was writing down what was not working with the software. And just to talk about the medical advisory board, I built this, this amazing relationship with nurses and doctors to get their, their raw feedback on every single feature possibility uh, that we could develop, you know, and, and for 10 years, we, we worked like that really, really well. So, of course, they, they would, in these meetings, they wouldn't talk about all the things that we had done and were working. They were in the same mindset as I was, was to say, hey, if we, if we could improve this a bit more, if we could have faster decision on this or this or this, uh, it would be even greater, right? So this guy, he just wrote down, oh, the clinicians are not happy with this feature. The clinicians uh, have said that this is blah, 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 blah. And then it was like, for me, it was like, I didn't know how to handle it, you know, because it was like 
treason treason in a way you know i was like saying tell us how we can improve and you're using it against us and that's how i understood this agenda from this other hospital director and so um and then the way in which i handled it uh i was a bit criticized for for doing it in this way but i thought I'm not going to to let that that idiot, you know, kill our company or, or or start spreading false, completely false rumors about the software. So in one of his emails where he sent me a list of all the things, I just wrote an email back to him explaining why he was wrong on all the different points, and I put every single hospital director in copy of this email. Uh, and then I was, you know, accused of, of lynching the guy. But for me, it was like he he went too far. Do or die. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So that's. Hey, can I ask a massive favor? Can you subscribe to this podcast right now if you haven't already? Your subscribes, your sharing, your liking, your commenting all over social media is increasing our reach, and it's meaning that founders out there. No, it's okay to talk about their mental health. Thank you. So I wanted to give a massive shout out to our sponsors, Founders Taboo, the headspace for founders. Founders Taboo are building the world's largest free online course and community for founders' mental health and well-being. The course has been designed in five chapters covering startup-specific pressures, well-being and recovery topics. Therefore, whether you are a founder, you're an investor, you're an employee, you're a family member, or anyone with an interest in founder mental health and well-being, this is for you. They want to make it super easy for founders and the people around them to learn about founder mental health and well-being in the startup ecosystem. If you want to go check them out, go to www.founderstaboo.com. About six weeks ago, we spoke on the on Zoom, yeah. Google Meet, and we were talking about mental health. Yeah. And you were talking about how there was a steady decline of your mental health, which then kind of overtook your life whilst at Diantel. Yeah. So, so yeah, <laughs> it's always a... Uh, an interesting discussion, but but I think you know it's about time that we all realize uh, whether it's um, family or investors or or even clients, suppliers, and employees the kind of mental pressure that you go through um, as an entrepreneur. And the reason why I think it's important to to discuss it is because until recently I thought you know maybe it was me it was i was not good enough to do you know to have a success faster or or to do things differently and uh, maybe it was me that was just weak and uh, and and that's it you know just accept it uh, until i started you know seeing some statistics about about the number of founders who are actually going through this and and you know even speaking with janos and some some others i i just realized this this is like everybody's problem, you know, and uh, and uh, we should start. We should start talking about it, and 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 so that you know, next generations of entrepreneurs can be uh, better fit for the job or better prepared for the the job. I mean, I, I shouldn't call it a job because for me, it's it's never been a job. Entrepreneurship has always been something which it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle, exactly. And even in the worst times. Uh, it was still 
you know, still something which I said to myself, no, I'm not going to take a job. You know, I'm not going to quit. This is uh, my choice. This is my choice. This mm. is this is what I like. You know, mm. I, what I like, and and. Uh, and so, so yeah, but then the fact is that if you're solo on this, then, uh, <laughs> you get some, some bad periods, you know, and, and at the outset, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really in a, or oh, I had gone through a really tough journey even before starting dental, right? Because, uh, it started where, when I, I lost my, my two years old, years old son, uh, then my wife divorced and my father died. Then I got screwed by the others. Uh, so it just went on and on and on and on like this. And then I started to, to, I decided to start a company in a country where I didn't really, you know, the language was in Danish. I spoke a bit of Danish. Um, so it was a different language. It was an industry where you had a lot of big, big, sharks around you all the time uh it was an industry where it's really difficult to to as i said before you know to sell on a continuous basis you know you were always selling bigger contracts but the bigger contracts always took longer and longer uh, just to give you an example we managed to sell to to the government of iceland uh for for all the icus and at that time also the operation theaters but it took me eight years between the first time i presented the solution and when i signed the contract yeah so talk about being resilient and 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 pushing yourself to never abandoning and and continuing means that that yeah you do have some kind of knock-on effect on on your mental health and then in order to remedy, you've got to try to find your own solutions, right? So, and again, just as if you don't take a coach as an entrepreneur and don't take somebody to help you through that journey, <clears throat> well, you basically, you do a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and the reason why you're so alone is because you don't really want to talk to your family about it because, you know, you're the entrepreneur, you're the only one that's done entrepreneurship, so it must be good and so and so. You don't want to talk to the investors because then suddenly you know that the wind is going to blow the other direction and and they might even think, you know, is he is he the man for the job or not? So you don't want to show any weaknesses. Um, <clears throat> I had a really good board um, and and really, really nice people and experienced people. But again, you don't want to show, again, any weaknesses because at least at the time, it's not something that you would do, right? So you want to show them that you're in control of the company, which I was, but uh, and increasing turnover, et cetera, et cetera, taking the right decision for product development. But you fear that if you start talking about some some other weaknesses, then they might also wonder or or even try to advise you maybe to step down for a while and so and and that's the last thing you want to hear right <clears throat> so i try to find some kind of solutions by myself um to keep me going and 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 still pushing mentally through every problem Every morning, I realized that was great because that was a new day with a new opportunity, so I could maybe do things in a different way and so. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, you want to kind of 
because it takes so long to sign a contract, you want to have some kinds of micro achievements, right? To say, okay, but I've done this and, and so. And, and I remember one of my colleagues, she used to tell me, you know, but you don't even celebrate uh, when we've got a little milestone or something. And for me, it was like, no, because I was already like, ahead on the next one you know uh, she even told me you're the only person who who I've ever met who can actually praise somebody and criticize somebody in the same sentence you know because it was always great this is great you've done that but we also need but, that and exactly. this and this wasn't done and this da, 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 da. but there's more and more and more uh, yeah yeah so 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 now I, I fully understand you know 10 years later what she meant by that and I also put it into practice and so um, but then it went really bad at one point, you know, and I was like, okay, what, so what was that point? It was at a point where, so first of all, we went, uh, we nearly went bankrupt twice. Um, and it's, it's at a point where, where having uh, been on, okay, we won the, the, the competition on, on the, on national television as being one of the most promising uh, Danish companies. So that already puts pressure on you as well, you know. And at the same time, so the prize was that we got some prize money from 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 um, from a consultant company. And then we were invited to have, you know, dinner with the Queen uh, of Denmark to, to, to kind of celebrate uh, this. And, and that was just amazing. But then, you know, the, the expectations and the stakes are even higher. And when you see that the turnover is not coming because, uh, well, they decided that it wouldn't be on this year's budget, it would be on next year's budget. That's 12 months, you know, that's nearly the life of a, of a company mm. <laughs> for, for some companies. So, so the impact is really, really uh, strong. But I came in this really bad routine of, being semi-depressed at some points and then picking myself up. But I was feeling like, especially with everything that happened before also Dainto, was that I was, I felt I was sinking in a pool, right? In a, it was an infinity pool, but not horizontally, it was vertically, you know? Mm. And, I, and I thought, okay, but it doesn't matter because at one point I'm going to hit the bottom. And when I can hit the bottom, I can start going back up again. But it was a really, really, really long journey downwards. And then I tried to, to, to think of some things like, okay, so how can I make myself feel better? So um, I knew that drugs, it was something I had to really stay away for. And I actually never took any drugs, even as a teenager. And so, because I always had this fear that if I do take this path, I will not be in control, right? I will not be in control of myself. And I, for me, it was like the the loser's path, mm. if you see what I mean. And and I didn't want to go through that path. Uh, then I thought I was smart, and then I found a really um, <laughs> like a magic pill, if you want, but a psychological magic pill. I uh, I imagine that I you know I could just put my my fingers like this as a sign of a gun, and just shoot my head every time I had a problem which I couldn't face anymore. And it was really strange because every time I kind of shot my head off in a way, I felt better afterwards. I was still alive and the problem had passed and I was going to try to find a solution. And I, I did that like from time to time until sometimes it started becoming like, like uh, 
actually like an addiction, right? So it was, it must have been a kind of uh, psychological addiction where I would kind of maybe shoot myself three times a day in the head, you know, it's just like to, to feel better, you know? And then from that, I realized, you know, that there's maybe a one step to kind of get a real gun one day and so, but because I was working in intensive care units, I got kind of scared about that because I saw people who shot themselves but missed themselves, you know? <laughs> so I thought, how, can, how the hell can you put a bullet in your head and not die, you know? <laughs> it's like, a, wow. So no, I'm not going to go through that path because I knew that, you know, if I wanted to suicide, then I would, I, I would not miss myself. I didn't want to miss myself. And I saw some people jumping from bridge who survived and, and things like that, which were really horrible. So then I thought, okay, but then there's one way which seems to be quite radical, and that's that's you know walking in front of a passing train, and then uh, yeah, so it's it's like amazing to maybe to talk about this, but then nearly unconsciously, or I don't know how to explain it, you start observing the patterns of the trains and which train stops and which don't, and so and so, you know. And then I knew, okay, if I wanted to do that, I knew what, what station to go to and when to do it and, and so. And then one day I was like, it was like a surrealist experience. I was there at the right time on the right platform. And um, I could kind of feel that now I was no uh, longer... And was that planned? Uh, it was planned in the sense that it was supposed to come at one point. Right, right, you right. Know. I was... And, and that's what kept me going because I always thought if I can't anymore, if I can't push myself anymore, it doesn't matter. There's one more solution. Jump in front of a train. You know? mm. and, and, and that kind of gave me the energy to still continue mm. in the wrong path with the wrong reason, for the wrong reasons and things like that in the business. I should have stopped and asked for help and say, okay, this is where I am. Please help me with the strategy. Help me with the plan. Help, help, help. But but I didn't. Right? Why, why uh, didn't you do that? I was too proud. You know, I was too proud. There was too much at stake. And I think also at some point you kind of you kind of um, push yourself, knowing you know the expression you know make it or break it is exactly that, or it's make it or die, basically. You know, so these are your two options left, you know, uh, because as I said, also in the beginning, I didn't have a fallback plan, you know, I didn't have, uh, an exit route where I could kind of, okay, stop the company and still have my, my head high and move on to the next project and, and learn from the experience. And so, no, I had no, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, way out. I had to succeed or die. So on that platform, basically, I had this experience where suddenly I was walking towards the train or the, or the edge of the platform, but I, I deconnected. It was no longer me walking. Uh, it's really difficult to explain, right? But I'm then I was myself. no longer in control of, of my movement. Mm. And, and yeah, I was, I was, it was it, you know, and I don't know how it's possible, but but I said to myself, give it one more try, you know, and then I stopped at the edge, let the train go by, and then I called my best friend, uh, and then he was just, you know, amazing in his way of 
reacting and 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 talk to 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 some of his colleagues in 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 the healthcare and and I immediately you know was in front the next uh, few hours in front of a psychiatrist who kind of calmed everything down and he was like just so cool this guy he was just like just listening and and uh, and then he prescribed me some some heavy antidepressant and then I took them and again I had this weird experience which was like for me taking these pills was like again going through the uh, path of taking drugs right so this time they were legal drugs and 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 they were supposed to be dosed for the right reasons and so but after three days of taking them I couldn't find myself again I was like I was I felt that I was walking besides my body I was no longer in my body you know it's like and then I thought how the hell am I going to get the energy I need to keep pushing uh, this company in in this way right and what you've got to remember is that it was only my friend his boss and the psychiatrist who knew about it so for my colleagues I was still the same person from the day before investors board everything and then after three days I decided you know no this is it I'm stopping the drugs and I decided you know like the day I decided to stop smoking from one day I stopped and then and then okay usually they tell you you know you've got to wind down a bit with with the drugs and so but I, I didn't care you know I thought okay if that's going to kill me then okay let it be you know and then I and then yeah so then slowly I tested some other things and I I had done karate before when where after I got you know had by the others and and that was a really good way for me of pushing the energy so actually using a lot of energy actually brings you more energy mm. you know so so and and also strengthened the mental health and showed you actually how far you could push yourself uh because I, I did you know all these kinds of things and then yeah so then that's how i continued and then i survived that one and then i started you know reflecting more on on how to do things and 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 how to manage people and because in the end you know when you're so depressed you you you, you get sensitive to, to even the smallest irrelevant thing you know it suddenly becomes a mountain and and it's like why me why do they do that why do they say that and so and so so yeah, it's been a survival course, I can say. That's fascinating. Um, thank you for for getting vulnerable. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 hard, but um, you're not alone. Being there myself, That's it. yeah. And as mm. as you were saying before, it's excruciating the numbers yeah. of people that go through similar things. Yeah, and it's totally unnecessary. I think Correct. you know, it's just a question of not not knowing reality and not having the tools to cope with it and 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 also all this distorted image of this what is success in entrepreneurship today you know completely focusing on these unicorns and things when we know that 99.99% of them are never going to be unicorns mm. but are going to build some really interesting uh, relevant businesses which will you know fulfill 
most of the entrepreneurs and and the objectives. So mm. so this distortion of reality is also one of the culprits, I think. Mm. Let's go into your reality. Yeah. And the kind of retrospective um, learnings that you took from your experience, because you took Daintel, then you exited in 2019. But actually, as you said, it was the learning and it was the kind of reflective period post that which made you a better CEO, yeah. better founder, yeah. better entrepreneur. Um, we spent pretty much half an hour talking about this yeah. off air. But yeah. um, what did you learn from your experience? Wow, yeah. So I think I learned a lot of things, uh, as I usually say to startups which with whom I'm, I'm working right now. And so is that in 25 years of entrepreneurship, even if Daintel was only 15 years, um, I've done just so many mistakes. Again, because... At university, you're not prepared for the real life of entrepreneurs because I had nobody in the family who was an entrepreneur. So whatever I talked about for them was completely like another kind of language nearly, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so I've learned a lot from, from all of my mistakes. I've learned um, to kind of take things uh, a bit more easy. I've learned that um, that for me, stress, a stressful situation is one of the most important KPIs for, for an entrepreneur. And why I say that is of course a bit in, in provoking it, but it's to provoke an idea that if the reason you have KPIs in your company, right, is to monitor some important parameters and then to react to them and to take the right decisions. And if you are stressed, this should be like your number one KPI as an entrepreneur, because what does it mean? If you're stressed, it means that you are no longer fully in control of what's happening and you don't have your priorities in the right order. And if you know that you should immediately stop, sit down, think, replan and reboot, right? If, if you know that, then you're not going to go from stress to mild depression to depression to suicidal thought and all, all the journey down to hell, right? If you're ready at this stage, say, hey, I'm really feeling stressed today, just know that it's because you haven't planned well enough. And usually in the, when I say planning well enough is also uh, something which one of the board members told me and it was one of the really good advice he gave me was to say, in everything that you decide to do, you must also do the list of the things you're not going to do. And when you start doing this, it makes it much clearer for you on which path you're going, how you're going to get there, your milestones and so, right? Because if you say, I'm going to do A, B and C, but for the next six, six months or 12 months or five years, whatever, I'm not going to do uh, EFG. And why it's important to have this kind of discipline is because as an entrepreneur, I believe most, most of us, right, are, are super optimistic or over optimistic. And every uh, challenge is a new opportunity. Uh, every new bit of information could become a new opportunity. But when you have too many opportunities, then you don't push them all the way to the end. And if you don't do that, then you don't generate any value out of the, all the work that you've put into this new opportunity, right? Mm. <clears throat> so 
again, it's very cliche, but, but it also applies to entrepreneurship when you say less is more, is that if you do less things, then you will have better results. On one condition, of course, is that the fewer things that you're going to do have been picked out or handpicked out of a, an array of possibilities, which you believe are the ones with the highest potential. Yeah. But again, it's a bit um, a funny thing, right? Because if you don't have immediate success with a new campaign you're launching or with a customer or whatever, you try to compensate by finding another way of having some success, right? And, and you're just increasing your, your workload. You know, you should say, okay, this didn't work. I'm going to go one hour to the museum or one hour to a, to, for a walk in the park. And I'm just going to reflect upon that, you know, and think, okay, so this didn't work. Why didn't it work? Should we change it? Should we pursue it? Or should we stop it? But don't go on to the next thing until you've taken this decision. Right. Mm. That's very interesting. Um, we spoke a lot about, well, actually, no, sorry. You spoke a lot about off air, the distortion of reality when it comes to being an entrepreneur and actually how there's a huge proportion of founders who probably shouldn't be founders um, because they're not sure how to handle the pressure. Um, can you expand on that? Because it was such an interesting point. It's something I've heard from three or four people now is the warning signs which young entrepreneurs coming into the industry and now it's never been easier to build a business, but equally often it's never been harder to build a business because of the certain personal pressures we put on ourselves now. Um, how can we counteract or counterbalance that fact? Yeah, so, so so coming back to what we were saying in the beginning, you know, is it, are you an entrepreneur because it's, it's genetic and that's how you are? Or is it because you've seen an opportunity or because you're tired of the corporate world or whatever? Um, and as you say, it's super easy, you know, to do, to do a company. It's, um, it's also easy to have ideas, you know, uh, people usually say, uh, oh, he did this company. I had this idea 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. But you never you never sat down and you never did all the hard work to make, to transform it from an idea to a business, you know? Um, so those who've never been entrepreneurs, I think they've got this, this idea that, well, you just have to have a, an idea and, and start it, you know, and then you'll see, uh, that it will work, you know? Um, and then the question is, you know, should these people become entrepreneurs or not? It's very, very, very difficult for me to say. I don't have enough, you know, stats on the backgrounds of entrepreneurs and, and how they did it. But, but I think one of the things which is really important for them would be to be able to go through a, 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 a entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> one or one or whatever. But it's, it's to, to say before you even talk about your ideas of entrepreneurs, are you as a person fit? to be an entrepreneur? Do you know the reality of what entrepreneurship means? You know, are you ready to sacrifice your, your time, your vacations, your, your, your family, your, your relationships, um, for succeeding in the business? And then the question is also, you know, is it necessary to do all these sacrifices? Are we, are we in all these kind of incubators and things, are we thinking far enough in terms of, yes, let's squeeze the lemon as much as possible. Let's go as fast as possible. 
but is this the most efficient way of business of building a company you know um and then there's still a lot of questions i don't have any answers to i'm still you know learning every day and and trying different methods and different ways of doing and and one of them which i'm doing right now is with a company called igolf.one which is a young ceo on, on a very interesting platform um whereby uh, golf players can just send a video of their swing and then get a, a really detailed analysis uh, in video uh, of what they should do and so and and the test which i'm doing what right now together with him and he knows also it's, it's a test is to be fully incorporated as a coach within the company so we actually moved uh, in the same uh, building uh, we, we live at the same place we work from the same office and 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 that's for a six months period and what we've seen is is basically an acceleration of the uh, transmission of, of knowledge from from my experience and adapting it to to what he can do and helping him grow faster but within the frame right because one of the things and and he knows the rules is that <clears throat> I'm not going to tell him something is good if I don't think it's good. And I'm going to explain to him why I don't think it's good, but I'm letting him the end decision, right? It's him to decide whether he wants to go right or turn left or straight on based on what I've told him. And based, and I don't have the whole truth, of course, because it's, you know, it's a very, very complex world. So, so, but, but I believe that the insight that I can give him uh does weigh in a very positive way for the development of a company at least that's what we've seen in, in the last three months and also himself who went through some periods of you know loneliness and questioning as should he continue or not and so uh mm. he's like a completely different person today he's really like super happy it's like uh moving positive from one project to the other growing uh, but we've got this huge wall in the office uh, with mega, mega post-its, not the small post-its we have. So we have a very clear view of where we're going month by month and also taking the decisions as to what we're not, we're not pursuing for the time being. And what do you get out of that relationship? I get... Uh, because because we, we spoke earlier about your decision of which direction you'd like to take on the angel investing front. Yeah. Um, I assume post your decision on the angel investing front, which direction you want to take? And I'd love you to go through which the, your kind of thought process because it's fascinating for any budding angel investors out there. Um, but I assume that decision was post the decision of which direction you want to take, and then you've kind of innovated on that model. Yeah. So, so, so having exited my company in 2019, for me, it was like the first time ever I was going to invest in, in, in companies. And actually, again, it's maybe a bit of a cliche, but I invest more in, in the people and the companies. Um, and I thought, you know, am I going to invest in, in an array of different, um, companies like small tickets here and there, or am I going to, get more involved and and what i w tried was to see okay is there any of the 25 years experience i have in entrepreneurship that could actually benefit uh younger or less young uh, entrepreneurs so i thought no i'm going to invest in fewer companies 
Um, and it took me like nearly two years, by the way, to, to come to this decision. So during that time, I didn't invest in anything. <laughs> um, and, and, and now I'm in the process of testing. So I've tested different things in different companies. I really like the... What, uh, have, what have you tested, by the way, just out of interest? Uh, different approaches? Well, it comes back to what I was saying with the previous company, right? Is to say, I no longer want to lead as the front figure, like, like, like trying to pull everything, everybody behind me to follow a, a vision or a dream. It's more, how can I actually serve the others for them to pursue their dreams uh, and vision and mission and everything? within the best possible framework with without you know it's like walking on on a edge cliff but now you've got a little barrier between falling and and the path right mm. and i'm maybe this little barrier it's just telling them you know continue straight or or, or, or things like that and also helping them to learn more so i see myself more like a leverage effect, right? So uh, I'm like pushing him to go and and talk to other people and 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 to because I don't want to sound, you know, like a professor or anything. I'm not at all like this. I'm just trying to through a dialogue help them find their own paths and and even in some cases make the mistakes, right? Because if you keep uh, a child and and oh, child is maybe the wrong <laughs> the wrong comparison, but but <laughs> but somebody too close on the leash and they don't they never slightly burn their fingers, then then they don't learn either, right? Yeah. But but <clears throat> so of course if he has ideas and if I'm if I'm not if I don't think it's the best one or we should wait or so, but he really wants to try it, I say by all means try it, you know. And then he can see by himself. And sometimes he's even proven me wrong, you know? So that's why it's also good to, to, to test uh, hypothesis. It mustn't be like, it mustn't be um, like top, top down because it's exactly what I don't want to have. It's really bottom up and, and for him to find out where to go based it's, on some... It's a really interesting dynamic, actually. <laughs> I was just thinking like you're allowing, you've invested a large ticket size in the company um i presume not not massive but mm. um large on the larger side for, for, for enough to make a difference yeah. enough <laughs> to make a difference yeah um and yet so it's almost like you are having to get comfortable with the fact that yeah he potentially or he or she whoever you invest in is gonna burn some capital as well which is your money you've put in and you're letting them do that yeah but that's part of the game yeah. for me that's part of the game um <clears throat> and i know he hates it when i say that that it's it's like i'm ready to lose the money uh why because then i'm not a hostage of the situation mm. Uh, if I was like I was before in the previous company where I had no uh, possibility of failing because then I would lose even more. Um, in this case, it is money that I've earned. And for me, every single euro or pound is worth what it's, what it's actually face value. Uh, so I'm really totally against wasting money that I, I, I really go red in the face. But if it's, if it's a loss because we took a calculated risk and it didn't work, mm. that's fine. We just mm. move on to the next one. Mm. You know? mm. 
and that gives me this kind of this kind of uh, yeah quietness or whatever you call it you know to 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 feel relaxed about it mm. uh, because that's another thing you know I found out in life is, is whether it's relationships or, or or business and so if you stress because of the money you will take a lot of wrong decisions mm. yeah. yeah it's true one of the biggest mistakes I made with my previous company and my mental health was wrapping my self worth in the success and outcome of the business. What are the biggest mistakes you made with your mental health on your journey? Sorry, I'm not sure I got it. So, I mean, so one of the biggest mistakes, as I said, that I made with the kind of decline of my mental health yeah. was I wrapped my entire self-worth in the success of various outcomes of the business. Right, yeah. Um, and that basically had a knock-on effect whereby I didn't feel good enough um, and I basically felt like a failure. I wasn't able to accept that um, and my mental health just basically fell off a cliff mm. two attempts of my life. Mm. And now I I can see that having reflected back on it. Mm. I wondered whether actually you have similar mistakes that you've made which had such a deep decline on your mental health such as wrapping self-worth etc or, or kind of success complexes yeah i think it's it's uh, very similar right you're you're pushing yourself in the corner and 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 you think that just by working even harder without getting any help is going to be the solution um and it's not right it's you have to be you have to find your team you have to find the people you can ask for help you can talk about things and that's why now also it, it, one of the the uh, concepts that i have when i discuss with young ceos is that you can talk about everything but you must you must know who you're talking to so that means that you need to know which filter you're putting to which audience and that doesn't mean that you're lying or anything, but there are things that you cannot say because there are some things which have, which have deeper consequences, or some things which could have a leverage effect. And and you know, it's like it's like, uh, as far as I understand, you know, why Warren Buffett always says that he never gives advice, and and I don't know if it's a real quote or not, but that's what I heard is that he said, but I'm not here tomorrow to tell you that I've changed my mind, and. And it's exactly the same thing, right? If one day you said, you know, I'm feeling really bad, uh, even feeling suicidal, and you say that to the wrong person, it might have an incredible negative knock-on effect instead of, and that's the last thing you want, right? Because then you just made the situation even worse just by opening a bit, yeah. So, so being able to know whom you can talk to about what I think that's one of the things I should have learned much earlier that help is there that uh, failing is is not a, a problem that you should always have a fallback plan and and so that you can move on you know and and keep having fun in what you're doing you know because when you're in these kinds of negative thoughts and situations it's really really just yeah survival mental survival and it's not fun anymore from from an angel perspective uh, angel investing perspective and you know <coughs> vcs and other angels as well janos being one of them um do you do you think that there's a subconscious potential barrier or turnoff in investing in a founder who has 
mental health issues? Or do you find, do you think actually, if they can harness it right, it's a bit of a superpower? It's a very, very difficult question to answer, of course, because um, I cannot put myself in the shoes of all the VCs and all of the entrepreneurs and mental health in general. There's a lot of different things with the different levels of you know, seriousness and things like that. Okay, let's, let's so go from you personally. Uh, what do you mean? If I had said, then would they have invested in me or what? No. If somebody, you were looking at investing in, right. in, in a founder. <clears throat> so I, in general, whether in business or in life, I've always tried to go as close as possible to the truth, mm. even though the truth can be in some, some places really ugly. Uh, this is my basis, right? And and for me, the question is not whether the person has had or has uh, mental health issues or psychological issues. It's how is he or her coping with them, and how this how do they believe this might affect their ability to run the business based on the level that they are wanting to achieve. So. So if you think that, you know, you're not going to go in 25 different countries in the next six months, but you're only going to stay local and you're not going to develop too much, you're going to take it easy, uh, that you've understood that putting too much pressure on yourself uh, makes you derail, that's the important thing, right? Is how conscious are you about your, your own capacity? Once you've done that is so... What are the solutions to improve weaknesses if weaknesses are hindering the development of your business? And, and, and developing weaknesses does not mean that you need to change anything with yourself. You might just need to change your team. You might need to change your objective, your, your strategy. You know? So it's not just about the person. It's the, the, the uh, environment in which this person is going to, to work, right? And people, I think, whether they failed in business before or have some really tough times in life, have, I believe, a different perspective in life in the sense that they can better uh, understand what's important, what's less important. You know, when I see people stressing because the bus is two minutes late, I thought, well, you've got a really simple life, right? Because if that's your biggest problem, mm. you know, you're happy, man. Mm. Um, we've done an hour and 10 minutes. It's been amazing. Yeah. Um, just want to thank you because it's, I think people coming onto this podcast, they think, yeah, well, we can talk about mental health. But actually, going surf below the surface level and actually getting vulnerable about people's journeys your journey um and the real harsh realities of entrepreneurship is incredible but also the more people that can listen to your story and this podcast the more we can actually normalize the realities of entrepreneurship and we can normalize the realities of angel investing, coaching, actually what's important to build a really successful company, but also to build really successful people with inside those companies. And I think that's where we need to shift the energy, the dial, um, the direction of entrepreneurship, the, the direction of venture capital, 
um, the direction of angel investing to be um, more founder focused, not from a, okay, I'm going to pat you on the back here, well done, and great, you're in a TechCrunch or Sifted article, but actually, how are you? And if you're not well mentally, let alone physically, you're not going to be able to build a unicorn. You're not going to be able to build a good company. Mm. And you're quite right. We should stop glorifying unicorns because at the end of the day, it's perfectly reasonable and fucking difficult to build a 10 million pound business, let alone a 100 million pound business. And I think we're getting it all wrong at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the unicorns. I mean, they, they've did it and, and, and great for them, but they're not at all representative of the reality, which I was talking about before. And, and to come back to your point, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we need to humanize, you know, going mm. back to, okay, so it's not the CEO is not just a number or a robot, which is trying to put processes and to turn out cash at the end. It is a person and his entire team are also people, you know, and, and, and you, you, without going too much into a soft discussion about things, but, but you do need to take this into consideration, you know, and, and, and this is why, you know, I wanted to share this, um, this experience and, and, and we discuss, you know, how far should I explain what had happened? And, and for me today, it's like the, the second coming out, right? Because in this case about mental health, it's it's breaking the taboo, and I think that's why you know founders taboo is a, is a is a really good name and and a way to on the path for normalizing things which we all think we are the only one that have the problem, and actually, you know, together if we talk about it and put everything on the table and be straightforward, the solutions are there. And, and, and that's the amazing thing, right? Because it's, it's not, it's not like a disease with no cure. Uh, mm. it's, it's actually a hidden topic of discussions where there are plenty of solutions to, 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 to make sure you don't end up in these situations. Mm. Patrick, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me here. So it's been a pleasure. Awesome.